Well, turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, we're going to play a little game today. We're going to play the game of Jeopardy. I can remember when I was a boy, my grandmother used to watch Jeopardy. So we're going to play one round of church Jeopardy today. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to humor me, if you, if you would. And I want you to get out your cell phone. And if you've got a place to take notes on it, write yourself a little email. I'm going to have you write one question and an answer. And if you don't have your phone or don't want to use it, lift your hand and an usher will give you a piece of paper. There's some pens in the chairs, but ushers, go ahead and help us out here. If you need a piece of paper, because we have two men with microphones, they're going to be going around, and we certainly don't want to embarrass you this morning, but we will if we must. So help us out here. Play Humor the Preacher, and we're going to play Jeopardy in just a second. But I've been doing a series, if you can focus in close on these bricks, it's been called Building Blocks. And uh, if you've been with me, building blocks, by definition, are core values. They're the main beliefs of our life. It's that which drives us to do what we do. I mean, no President Trump, whether you like him or not, he's got core values. I mean, no the Democrats in opposition, they have core values. I mean, no the Republicans in opposition, they have core values. All, and you're just looking at it and going, why in the world are these people doing what they're doing? I'll tell you why. They've got core values. Some of them are right and some of them are wrong. And the premise of the series is the right core values will bring me a place to God's blessing. The wrong one will cause sorrow and pain in my life. And this is kind of a, a big picture sermon series. It's, it's like broad sense, how am I building my life? And, of course, the first thing is I'm building my life on the resurrection. That's the door to heaven. That's a belief in Christ for my soul. I'm building my life on, on God, which simply means my relationship with God is the most important thing in my life. And that was the foundational truth. All this is on our Internet and our past messages. We talked about the Bible, that I choose to live my life according to the Bible. That's a big one. And this morning, I'm going to do a fourth one. I live each day with eternity in mind. Now, I'm going to contrast the temporary nature of this life to what the Bible calls eternity. And let's look at the scripture passage that's our text for the morning. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17. Paul writes this, and he says, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, let me pause just a second. When I talk about my troubles, I talk about things like, boy, my electricity went out for an hour yesterday. Now, how many know in the grand scheme of life, missing an hour of Netflix is not that big a deal? Here's what Paul said in another scripture, 2 Corinthians 11. Paul said, I've been put in prison. Mind you, he called this momentary and light troubles. He said, I've been put in prison. I've been whipped. That's the Romans, 39 lashes. I mean, no, that's painful. That takes a long time. I faced death. I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Sleepless nights. You know what it's like to wake up and look at your... That's probably the worst thing you can do at night, look at your bright iPhone when you're trying to go to sleep. But you just look in the time and you maybe turn the TV on, whatever the case is. But this guy was often running for his life because he was a Christian. He went on to say that he had times that he'd gone without food and he shivered in the cold without enough clothing. All because the journey he was on to advance the gospel. But what I want you to see is he called it light and momentary troubles. So how in the world does that make sense? This, this guy was either crazy or he was doing a comparison between the temporary nature of this life 
and eternity in what's to come. It's almost like saying his life represented one grain of sand on the seashore as opposed to all the sand and all the world on seashores and gravel pits and, and, and everywhere else. That's the contrast of the temporary and eternal. Now back to our text. He says, uh, again, light and momentary troubles achieving eternal glory that outweighs them all. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, that's the temporary, but what is unseen, that's the eternal, that's heaven, that's being with God one day, that's living uh, for all eternity, since what is seen is... Temporary. Yeah, see, when I do this, I'm not just scratching my ear, I want you to tell me what's on the screen. It's temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. eternal. So what he's saying is, I'm living with eternity in mind. The New Living Translation says the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And it's this concept or idea, the reality of forever or eternity that I want to talk to you about in this fourth building block for a blessed life. Now let's begin first with uh, the idea that life on earth is temporary. Now here's where Jeopardy comes into play. Let's welcome Alex Trevette here back to our uh, Church on the Rock uh, uh, Sanctuary. Alex, good to have you today. Let's play Jeopardy. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get out your phone and get out your paper, and I want you to write the question and your answer. Now, there's only one category. The category is this is your life, and the bet has already been made for you. It is your eternal soul. So I will go ahead and write the question down. What will I be doing 100 years from now? What will I be doing 100 years from now? from now. Come on, you have to write it down, humor the preacher. If you do this, I'll preach shorter today. How about that? If you'll do this, uh, Jason, we'll buy lunch today. Jason, will you buy lunch for everybody today if they'll go ahead and participate in Jeopardy? All right. Where will I be doing in 100 years from now? Jeopardy, go ahead. You've got 30 seconds to answer that question. Okay, I've got some men with microphones. They're going to be finding out what you wrote down. What will you be doing in 100 years? Go ahead, Jason, start out. Go Jesus, go Jesus. <laughs> Teaching for God. Praising the Lord. Praising the Lord. Staying away from sin for all eternity for the Lord. Wow, amen. We're embarrassing people as we go. That's the intent of Sunday morning. <laughs> I'll either be dead and waiting on the second coming or I'll be in heaven. I miss that. I say I will either be dead and waiting on the second coming or I'll be in heaven. Okay. My body will be dead, but my soul will be alive and well in heaven. Okay. All waiting right. on Jesus. Huh? Waiting on Jesus. Okay. Now, do you find it interesting that nobody said, I'm going to be cutting my grass because it'll be really tall by then? Uh, nobody said, I'll finally be able to retire from work. 
Uh, nobody said, uh, I'll probably be on vacation. I'll have saved a lot of money by then. I've got it in some good investments, and it will have compounded quite a bit by then. Nobody even said, I'm going to, I'll be turkey hunting in 100 years. I mean, I mean now listen, that's, I, I, know, I know. How did that get up there? <laughs> now, I say these things, you, you, you may laugh a little bit, but I, I, sh- I share this to illustrate life on earth is temporary. It is not lasting. It is not eternal. And deep down, we all know it. Deep down, we all know our lives won't last forever. But it's hard to come to grips with the idea when we're living a busy life. It's hard to come to grips with the idea when the calendar is driving you. It's hard to come to grips with this idea just with your phone. I mean, I I had like 500 emails the other day after I'd already cleaned up 500. And I finally got them down to zero. And the next day, there's 50. And how many of those 50, there may be two or three that you really need to address. And it's just, and, and if you don't have the, the, the message, uh, the little beeper turned off on your phone, every one is going to let you know that it's there. And all your text messages and all your Facebook things and all, you know, instant messenger and Snapchat and Instagram. And before you know it, your world is just caught up in this. You've got soccer, you've got fun, you've got all these things, but somehow we can't just live in this world. We have to realize that there's an eternal world that's on, that's on the horizon for me, and I may be that get there quicker than I, than I imagine. Now, again, this first, uh, the first point is life on earth is temporary, and I want you to look at Luke chapter 12 with me as we look into the Scripture. It is easy to live with misplaced priorities, it's easy to, to live on earth with no thought of eternity. And Jesus told this story, Luke 12. Jesus said, a rich man had a farm that produced fine crops. Now, this is a picture of success. Wherever you are, whatever your world defines success in, for the farmer, it was an abundant crop. For you, it may be your biggest real estate commission. Uh, it might be that you, you got an, you know, an, an award at Cooper for making uh, so many tires. Uh, it, you may have got a raise at work. You might have flipped a house. But it's success. And how many know success is a good thing? The Bible says God gives us the ability to obtain wealth. Uh, Even in 3 John, he said, I wish above all things that you'd prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So in this pathway of of prosperity and success, this man asked a question that defined his eternal life. He said, now what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. It was a bumper. This was a defining moment of his life, but what it revealed, his responses, was his ignorance about the future and his misplaced priorities. Verse 18, his reply, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. Now, how many know there's nothing wrong with an addition on the house? There's nothing wrong with another shed, but when it becomes more important than the eternal, when we don't consider the eternal in the midst of it, we're on a a dangerous path. He said, then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat. And I'll say to myself, my friend, you've stored away for years to come. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. It's almost like the old Burger King uh, commercial. He lived for himself with no thought for others and no thought of eternity. He failed to realize that life on earth is temporary and it could be shorter than we think. Verse 20, God said to this man, you fool. Now, fool, the, the kind definition is a person who acts unwisely. If you want to get a little tougher, it's an idiot. It's a moron. Somebody that's just behaving stupidly. Not quite a cuss word, but it's it's on the way. It's got some some bump to it. But when God calls you a fool, and the reason he was foolish was not because he was successful. The reason he was foolish is because he had no concept of eternity. 
Jesus said, you're going to die this very night, and then who will get everything you worked for? Well, I can tell you what will happen. Everybody will cry for a while, and then the kids and relatives and cousins and great, great, depending on how much you had, they'll all be around, and, and what you save for, what you scrimp for, what you wouldn't spend for yourself, you know, they'll take that money and they'll buy a sports car. They'll do an around-the-world uh, tour, uh, around-the-world vacation in remembrance of dear old dad. Who'll get everything you work for? Jesus went on to say a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Now, he didn't say it was a fool to be wealthy. He said it's a fool to be wealthy and look at the temporary more than the eternal. He's saying you want to get your perspective right, have an eternal outlook on life rather than just the temporary. See, he presumed tomorrow would be like today and he could do as he pleased. This is particularly challenging if you're a young person. You know, and young is relative, the older you get. How many understand that? Uh, my niece, and you don't think life is uncertain, uh, my cousin, rather, uh, uh, 10 years younger than me, very successful. She was a pharmacist. She had probably six pharmacies she owned, uh, uh, you know, uh, houses, very wealthy. People loved her. She thought she had the flu, went into the doctor. This was about three weeks ago, and they had her funeral yesterday. It was cancer. Just like that. You just don't know. This man presumed tomorrow would be like today. He could do as he pleased, but he was wrong. And he'd pay for his choice for all eternity. Do you think this story would have been different if when the man asked the question, what shall I do with my great blessing? What if he would have asked God and said, God, what do you want me to do? What would it have been different if he'd have said, thank you, God, so much for blessing me. I'm going to extend the storage room a little bit, but, Lord, I'd like to be able to support the local homeless shelter and feed everybody for a year. And I don't mean just feed them beanie weenies one day and, and, and sardines the next today. Uh, I, Lord, I want to adopt an orphanage. Would you lead me to an orphanage where I can take care of kids that don't have a mom and dad for the next year? Lord, would you, how about if I buy Bibles? How about if I get connected with the persecuted church and buy Bibles, smuggle thousands of Bibles into Muslims around the world? Do you think he'd have had a, a different outlook on life? Because rather than living just for the temporary, I mean, no, he could still get a bigger shed. It's not about how big the storage shed is, but it's about is there anything beyond the day that I'm living for? Now, we've talked about life being temporary, but let's do the little contrast. Eternity is forever. Now, this is not a concept that I can grasp in my mind. My math teacher would draw the little squiggly line for infinity, and I just thought it was cool. But if you just kept drawing, it would just keep going and going and going with no end. And that was, that was the intention. Eternity, by definition, is an endless duration of the future. Eternity means time is no more or endless time. Time, on the other hand, is a specified duration. It has a beginning, it has an end. I was born April, 50, uh, April 24, 1957. Now it's today's date. Time is like this. Maybe I could illustrate time this way. Time is a, a one-inch line on a tombstone. Let me give you an example. Several here. How, how many remember John Wayne? Still like old John Wayne movies? Seems like we need a little more John Wayne in America today. I, I, don't, I don't know. But, but if you could, I don't know if you can see this or not, but right here, it's two numbers. 1907 and a one-inch line, 1979, 72 years. That was time for John Wayne. Look at another one. Michael Jackson, the king of pop. August 1958, time. 
And time for him stopped. And I wish we could draw an arrow at the end. And the arrow would say, Michael stepped from time into eternity. And eternity is forever. It's not just Michael Jackson. Marilyn Monroe. You still see her pop up today. Uh, 1926. 1962. A one-inch line. Now there's an eternal line. Marilyn is somewhere today. Who else we got? Oh, for the gangsters in the crowd. Al Capone. Al was born in 1899, died in 1947. Now, he's got about a three-inch line there, but, but there's no period behind the seven. It's a line that keeps going forwards into eternity. And I have one more. I don't know how this one got on there, but it says Santa Claus. And I don't think that is true, so all the kids can take heart today. But the one-inch line. Uh, Albert Einstein said something about time. He was quoted in the Chicago Tribune many years ago. And Albert Einstein, the great scientist who epitomizes what it means to be a rational, scientific thinker, he said, be attentive to time and how you spend it because nothing is more precious. And this is evident when you recall that in one tiny moment, heaven may be gained or lost. Now, what does that mean? You can't work your way into heaven, but you can either accept Christ and follow him or you can reject him. You can hear the words of salvation as you'll hear today. You'll have an opportunity to receive Christ as your Savior, and you can say yes or you can say no. Albert Einstein said, God, the master of time, never gives or promises the future, only the present. You see, time is temporary. It's limited, and eternity is endless. I want to tell you today, I'll either give you one grain of sand that you can hold on to right now, or tomorrow I'll give you every grain of sand in the world. Or how about this? Today I'll give you a dollar. But tomorrow I'll give you a dollar equal, uh, one dollar for every grain of sand in the whole world. Which would you take? Sure you would. You wouldn't take what you see right now. You'd take the promise that was to come. I'm going to read you some Bible verses. But the Bible teaches that after our temporary time on earth is over... We'll spend eternity in heaven or hell. Now, you don't hear much about this in today's world, but, but the Bible teaches that both are real places. Heaven is real and hell is real. And our existence will be forever. There's not a period, the end of the tombstone. Let me read a verse or two. Jesus said this in Mark 9, 48. Jesus said, in hell, the fire is... Now, in my own rational sensibilities, I'm not really comfortable with that concept. But guess what? I'm not God. God has presented to us through the Bible His ways. It says, hell is forever. Revelation 20, uh, the devil who deceived people was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, and they'll be tormented day and night. Yeah, no party in hell. N no getting high. No hanging out with your friends. No, no, no jamming. It's forever and ever. Jesus gave us the, the, the opportunity for either in Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is a picture of judgment, but at the last part of it, it says judgment and reward. It says these on my left hand will go into eternal punishment, and those on my right hand, the righteous, into eternal life. Eternity, forever. More than just a day, more than a lifetime, more than a million lifetimes, more than a billion lifetimes. Eternity. Revelation 21 gives us a small picture of heaven. It's, it's somewhat 
painted with, with abstract brush strokes. The Bible even tells us that uh, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. Jesus told his followers, it's good that I go because I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And there where I am, there you will be also. Scripture teaches that Jesus will once come again and receive us to himself. And we'll be forever with the Lord in a real place called heaven. But Revelation 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the Bible, let me just get a half a dozen verses. When time is no more, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they'll be his people and God will be with them as their God. He won't be the man upstairs, but one day he'll look at you face to face. One day for the first time in, in your life, you, Joe, you'll hear Jesus call your name. One day for the first time, he'll say, Linnell, and he'll smile. One day for the first time, you'll look, and at that point we'll realize, not by faith, but in, 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 a, in, a, in a sensory realm, we'll hear the word, Tony, I'm glad you're here. Dorothy, it was worth it all, wasn't it? That's what, that's what, that's what the scripture says. Look at verse 4. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. My cousin's family is, is, is grieving this week. My brother gets home from the funeral and he calls me and he said, our, our principal, when I was in the first grade, Theron Long, he was a believer. He died. It's just everywhere. It's part, of the temp it's part of the curse of sin. But one day, Scripture says, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. My principal, Theron, I was in the first grade. He would read the Bible over the microphone, and he prayed in a day when it was normal to honor God in America. His son, my best friend in, in high school, my college roommate, Vince. Vince had to have a liver transplant, just all the stuff that went on. He committed suicide a couple years ago, and, and, and Theron and his wife wept. But the Bible says one day he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more. My cousin kept saying as we would text about Wendy's death, she says, I know she's now seeing our grandparents. We called them mom and tetty. I know she's seeing them face to face. There'll be no mourning, no crying, no pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Verse 22, an angel showed me a river of water of life. It's a symbolism. Flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the city, the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is, is a picture of this place called heaven, this place where we'll dwell. It's a, it, it's a real place. and they'll, they'll, We won't need to have a light or a flashlight or, or, or click on an electric switch. We won't even need the sun because the Lord God will be our light and we will reign we will reign forever and ever. But you see, where we spend eternity is up to us. It's simply my prerogative today, my duty, my call today as the messenger to tell you what the Bible says about eternity, what happens after death. We get to decide. You get to decide. This is Adam and Eve decided would they follow God or reject Him. We decide where we'll spend eternity. Listen to this, a great scripture, Romans 2 verse 6. God will reward or punish every person for what they've done. Some people by always, that with me, continuing to do good. Now, this is where we want to be. Continuing to do good doesn't mean you're perfect. 
living for God's glory, living for God's honor, and for life that has... See, this foundation stone is, is what is, is matters to me. I've dedicated my life to live with eternity in mind because I'm going for life that has no end. God will give them, what's it say? Life forever. God will give them life forever. But look at the contrast for those that don't want it. Other people are selfish. It doesn't mean that they're bad people. It doesn't mean that they're arrogant, evil. It just means that their choices themselves are more important than God's. They're selfish. They refuse to follow the truth. They follow their own truth. And instead they follow evil. And God will give them his punishment and anger. And we might add even forever as the Bible teaches. Now, our view of eternity will determine the choices I make. You can be here today and you can say, well, you know, I don't even believe that. You have that right. Another man you join the ranks of, his name is Edvard Munch. If you uh, studied much psychology or art in the early 1900s, very influential. Here's what he said about uh, eternity. He said, and he talked about his death, From my rotting body, flowers will grow, and I am in these flowers, and that is eternity. From my rotting body, flowers will grow. These flowers draw their nourishment from my body, and this is the way that I live for eternity. Now, I'm a flower. Is that not sad? I mean, is, uh, uh, listen, do we call him a fool? Or do we feel sadness in our heart? Because something that was revealed to us, we just simply said yes, and he said no. Listen to what Isaac Newton said, he, or John Newton, rather. John Newton, who, the writer of Amazing Grace, the most recognized religious song in the world. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I'm found, but it's blind, but now I see. Listen to how different this is than the flowers. When we've been there, this is the fourth uh, stanza, 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, We've no less days, say it with me, to sing God's praise than when we first begun. I don't know about you, but I'm choosing what God says about eternity, huh? I'm living for Christ. Because here's the deal. What I believe about eternity doesn't make it real or unreal. How many know God is who he is? And my, ch- my response is, is I can embrace it or I can reject it. You see, how we prepare for the future is up to us. You can listen to the word of God today, not the words of a man, but the scripture that I read today and say, you know what? I believe it because it's in the Bible, the word of God. I'm going to do my best to follow in that pathway for the hope of eternal life. Or you can choose to walk away and God will give you that choice. Uh, with this idea of, of, of the temporary nature of life and eternity, I'll close with this question. How, how, how should I live? Well, my friends, I say it this way. I will live each day with eternity in mind. Let me me read a scripture. James chapter 4, James the brother of Jesus. James is talking to folks now. He says, hey, guys, you who are out there saying today or tomorrow, we're going to go into a town. We're going to spend a year there. We're going to make some money. He's saying, hey, business guy, you that are going to go start a franchise in Little Rock, you're going to go make some money. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to go to college. I'm going to, I'm going to Texas A&M, and then I get my master's degree at U of A. He said, hey, wait just a second. Good ambitions, good dreams, but here's what he says. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. 
You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what the outcome of your life is. For all I know, my, 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 my cousin Wendy was thinking about opening another store. Certainly a good thing, but no guarantee that we'll open the store, but we live like it's unlimited. And then he asked this question, what is your life? You're like a mist that appears a little time or smoke that vanishes. Here's our life. Here I am. I'm just born. I'm the cutest baby that's ever been on the earth. That's what my grandmother used to tell me. And I'm living. Now I'm 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. Keep going. 70, 80, 90, 100, 110, 120. More supplements. 130. More exercise. 140, 150, 160. Catch that. It's over. The Bible says it's just that quick. But because the days are long, the years are short, we don't realize it. See, James was writing to people who spoke and acted as they, though they, they had control over their destiny and knew the outcome of the future. And James says this mentality shows ignorance, arrogance, and self-deception. Here's where I want to be, and maybe this could be our prayer today. Psalm 39, verse 4. Let's say this together. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me, Lord, how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me my days are numbered and how fleeting my life is. Let me go back. I neglected to read the balance of James. Let me keep reading. Back to James, verse 14. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Your life is like a mist. Instead, verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord will. Mind you now, they're going to Little Rock to open a business. They're going to A&M to, to get a degree. You know, they're going to Stuttgart to go duck hunting. He says, if the Lord wills, we're going to live, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But when you don't have that view, you're boasting in arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. I remember another number of years ago, I was, I was good friends with a podiatrist in town. He was a Nazarene. We were both on the board for a, a thrift center. And we were conversing about some issue, you know, probably how to get money or what do we do and how do we fund the thing. And I called his office and he wasn't there. So I left a note on his answering machine. And I said something like, you know, hey, sorry I missed you. Uh, Lord willing, we'll get together next Thursday. Let's have lunch and we'll talk about it. And I got a call as best I can remember about Tuesday or Wednesday and said, you don't know me, but I'm his son or I'm his daughter, whoever it was, been a while back. Uh, I, I, he, Dad died this week. And your answering machine caught me now more than it ever has. Lord willing, I'll see you next Thursday. That's the way we should live. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth is. Listen to what Paul said in Acts 18. He's in Ephesus, and Paul said this. I will come back later. I will come back later, God willing. So when we, in conversation in everyday life, it's not always appropriate to say that out loud. Many times it is. But at least inside, could we pause a second and say, God willing. Mom says, when you come, when, when you come in, uh, to, when you come in for vacation, well, Lord willing, I, I'll be there. Now, I'm not saying you need to say that a thousand times a day. But what I am saying is, it needs to be in our consciousness that we're living in a temporary span of life. The psalmist, again, in verse, chapter 90, verse 12, said, teach us how short our lives really are so we may be wise. And I'm going to close with this last, last portion. Why don't we stand to our feet and, and have a prayer?
What should a wise person do standing on the edge of time and eternity? Which is where we are today. What should a wise person do? 1 Corinthians 15. First, I want to say something to those that are Christians. And how many know it doesn't make you a Christian because you go to church? It doesn't make you a Christian because you have a Bible. It doesn't make you a Christian because you try to do good things. It doesn't make you a Christian because grandma was good. And it doesn't make this baby a Christian because we prayed for her in a Christian church. What makes a person a Christian is when they receive Christ as their Savior. But the vast majority of us are. Here's what the Bible says in, in, in the greatest chapter in the Bible on the resurrection of Christ and our resurrection. It says these words, don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the Master. The NIV says, give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, confident that nothing you do for Him is a waste of time or effort. And this is what I would say to the Christian. Every day of your life, live for Christ. If you work at Cooper Tire, Cooper Tire is your mission field. If you're a student, that school is your primary mission field. If you're in the medical community, wherever your office is, wherever your sphere of influence is, that's your primary mission field. It's not your only mission field, but it's your primary field. I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and, and he was, helped us very, very much when my wife struggled with, with breast cancer. Very instrumental in helping us find the surgeons and all that. He was, a, he, was a, he was a doctor. And just out of the blue, he said, you know, your wife is the strongest person I think I've ever met. And I, and I, and I pondered that, and I knew it was related, his comments, to how she reacted when she had cancer. She had cancer she already had on the calendar to, to go to Haiti and do a women's conference. Now, I'm not talking about going to a place where you make money now. I'm talking about you pay your ticket, you pay your fare, and you go and help some of the poorest of the poor. And she begged her oncologist, could I please go down there? Well, she, I think they negotiated. Rather than going a week, you can go three or four days. And somewhere in her journey, she's in southern Mexico. And again, ministering to the poorest of the poor. And she's down there, and in the middle of the night, I don't know, for some reason she went outside at, at nighttime, but there was no lights, and they were on the side of a mountain. The poor thing fell down the hill, banging her head as she goes down. She has this terrible gash in her head. If you see Linnell now, and you wonder what that scar is, well, that's her missions gash. Now, you say, well, how bad was it? Well, when they sent me pictures, she had two black eyes and blood all over her face. It was pretty bad. But how many know when you find a, a Mexican doctor in the middle of the night and you go in his office and he comes in and he says, ay, ay, ay. How many know that's not good? If it were me, I would have found out what insurance we have to fly my little self back here so I could be with my mom. Are you, are you with me today there? I mean, I mean I, get me back home where it's safe in the, la, in, in, in the, the, uh, in the lazy boy. But two days later, she's still down there She's riding the van through these back roads, three or four hours, bumping along, hurting. I said, why is she doing that? Because they told these Mexican women, some of which didn't even have shoes on their feet, that some Christians for America were coming to be with them and pray with them. Now, I share that as an example, number one, but how many know it's not just that level of your service for Christ. Somebody bought shoes for that trip put shoes on, I think, a hundred people's feet. Somebody paid money for that. Some people went down on the team. They bought a ticket. They sacrificed their vacation time. They put money that they could have put in, I don't know, a bigger TV. And TV, big TVs are not bad, but they didn't just live for the temporal. 
They live for the eternal. And this is what I would say to the Christian. You don't have to go to the mission field, but right here where we are every day of our life, let us do something to advance the kingdom of God because that's what's permanent. And the second thing I would say, if you're not a Christian or maybe you've, you've fallen away from God or maybe you're just not sure, here's what I would say to you. Act today upon Christ's offer of salvation. Say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? John 3, 16, the most popular verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Now, I was raised in a little country Methodist church, grateful for it. I knew it in my head but not in my heart. And one day when I was 19, I was at a spiritual crossroads like many of you are perhaps today. I realized that going to church was important, but it was not enough. I had never surrendered my life to Christ. It's kind of like you're driving a car, and if you can imagine Jesus is in the back seat, and you feel comfortable that he's there. It's kind of like having a Bible on your shelf. It just, you know, you just feel good in the tornado when the Bible's on the shelf. But something happens in your life, and you just feel to pull the car to the side of the road, and Jesus gets out. And then you open your door driving, you take out the keys, and you put the keys in his hand, and he gets in the driver's seat, and you get in the passenger seat. What you've done is you've yielded, come on, control of your life to Christ. Doesn't mean you become a preacher like me, but what it means is you become a follower of Jesus Christ. You receive his gift of salvation. And maybe that's you today. Maybe Christ is not in the driver's seat of your life, but you want him to be. And if you're here this morning and would like to commit your life to Christ, or if you've gotten away and would like to come back to Christ, we would be honored to pray with you, and we'd like to do it right now. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, I want to act on what I heard, what I heard today. I want to put my faith and trust in Christ and follow Him. If that's you, would you just lift your hand real quickly let us pray for you? Anyone say, pray for me this morning. I want to put my trust in Christ today. Anyone this morning? God bless you, buddy. Give him a big hand. God bless you. God bless you. You'll be a different daddy. You'll be a different husband. Anybody else today say pray for me? God bless you. See your hand back there. Give them another big hand. God bless you too. Anyone else this morning will pray for you. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. Our prayer team is going to come to the front. They'll pray with you about anything in your life. Maybe something in this message troubled you or, or, or you feel drawn to God or maybe someone you care about needs prayer. We'll pray about anything. But you that lifted your hand, I want to invite you to join us over at the cross and someone will meet you right over there. Go with your husband and give them one more big hand. You that lifted your hand, say, I want to commit my life to Christ or recommit. Come on up to the cross. We'll meet you. Our prayer team is coming. We'll be happy to pray for you. Sing it one last time and then we'll go and I'll see you next week. Lord willing.